Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. About 8, 11 a.m., I get a call from my mother. I was like, that's weird. Mom doesn't, she hasn't called this early. We talk often, but not at 8, 11. And I was like, but I really need prayer right now, so I'm not going to answer this call, Mom. Sorry. I'll call you back as soon as this is over. Well, about a minute later, I got another call from her. And I knew something probably wasn't good. And on the other side of the phone, I, I was talking to my mother here. I was like, Mom, what's going on? She's like, well, uh, your, your dad has checked himself into the emergency room. Chest pains, um, likely uh, maybe, having, uh, maybe have had a, has had a heart attack, maybe having a heart attack. Needless to say, um, he's checked himself in. Well, when I hear that, I'm like, well, my dad's probably pretty stubborn about going to the hospital. I don't know if anybody else in here is like that. Um, I, I, um, I was like, this is probably not good. Probably not good. And so what I do, I, I was like, okay, well, I got to go. Y'all pray for Cannon here, Covenant Kids team. I've got to go. We've got kind of a family emergency going on. And uh, a lot of uncertainty uh, kind of surrounding that moment. And uh, uh, by God's grace, my dad is here today. He's okay. He's fine. Um, however, whenever I got that call and decided to leave, I went home and on the ride home, about 20 minutes, I had time to think. And uh, it, it's in those moments of life where there's a ton of uncertainty where your deepest thoughts come forward, I think. Um, and in, in particular, this moment was, it was a moment of prayer. And I was asking God, why this? Uh, why him? Why, why this? Why my dad? He's only 54. He's healthy. And then I started turning the question to say, how can I... Remain thankful and grateful and joyful and hopeful, even in this hard and difficult circumstance. It was a, a moment of joy crisis. It was a moment of thankfulness crisis for me. And it's a moment that all of us have been in in life. In the highest of highs or the deepest of lows, we are confronted with where shall your thankfulness lie? Where does it come from? I know Matt mentioned earlier about our identity. Uh, one of the things that tells us about where we're placing our identity is where and what we are thankful for. And so it's my hope this morning as we look at Psalm 100 uh, that we can peel back some of the layers of our own hearts and look to, at what God has done in our past uh, for what he has done in the future and respond in great thankfulness. And so if you will, turn your Bibles to Psalm 100. We will begin to, and, and read this very short and familiar uh, psalm. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so uh, this morning, I think it's very clear here that, that, that uh, the psalmist is going to give us some directives about why uh, we shall praise and thank the Lord. And I think they are found Primarily here in verse 5. For he is good, meaning that he is a benevolent God. That at, in his character, in his person, 
is ultimate goodness. Not goodness, circumstantial goodness, as we oftentimes deem goodness, but true goodness in what, in, in what is ultimate. He's benevolent. The second reason, I think, that we shall be thankful to God this morning as, as a church family is that his steadfast love endures forever. Well, what does it mean to love someone? Well, to love someone is to give up uh, something, to be sacrificial for the benefit and the blessing of another. The psalmist here is telling us that God has done this for us in a way that is steadfast, meaning it doesn't go away. Not only does it not go away, it doesn't waver. God steadfastly loves you and he loves me. That is another reason for us to give thanks this morning. And then the final reason I think is this, that he is faithful. Again, he does not waver and he is faithful, not just now, but when? To all generations. God is good, God is loving, and God is faithful. These are the reasons why David tells us that we can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts uh, with praise. And so we're going to look at further at this, and the way we're going to look at this is through five questions. And so the first question is this, what is thankfulness? What is thankfulness? The second is, where does thankfulness come from? Thirdly, how should we express our thankfulness to God? I think it's clearly defined here. Fourthly, why aren't we thankful? Because that's a conundrum that we're all in, right? You know what? I walked in this morning, and I'm like, Golly, it's a little chilly. I'm sorry about that, guys. We've got a little APS system here. You think Matt Papa's up here in a scarf for a fascist statement, but it's not. He's actually really cold. He's, so, but we've got a problem sometimes. We're, we're not always thankful as humans. And it's in the, in the hard times, in the cold times, that you're thankful for th- other things, for blessings. You're reminded. And then finally here, what should we be thankful for? And so I think these are five important questions Uh, that we need to ask uh, of ourselves. I think thanksgiving uh, most fundamentally is an expression or a response of gratefulness. For instance, uh, hopefully many of you are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with family and friends uh, this upcoming week, and you're probably going to be provided for in some way. You're going to have a need, and that need is going to be that you're hungry you're going you're gonna to have uh, someone hopefully provide you a meal, or you might be cooking the meal. Uh, but for those of us, like myself, who will probably just be beneficiaries of the people who cook the meal, we're, we're hungry and we are provided for. And the response that comes forward whenever you have a need that is provided for is thankfulness, thanksgiving. That should be the expression that, that uh, whoever cooks this meal, my wife, my mother, whomever, sees for me after they have provided for my needs. I should be thankful. And that should probably inspire me to then go clean the dishes for them, right? And take care of all of the, you know, the backlash from cooking an awesome meal. It's a response. It's something that we do in response to a need being met, But thanksgiving is also a command. And we're going to look at just a few passages here uh, that that show us this. It's a a response, so you are responsible for for how you respond. But but it's it's an experience that you have when you um, have a need met. But it's also something that you must do. It it is a command of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, 
and be thankful. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then we have in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, that one of the chief reasons that the people who are condemned in this passage as being people without an excuse is that they were not thankful to God. It says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It is a command. And when we are not thankful to God for how he's revealed himself to us, we are without excuse. This is Paul setting up one of the most amazing theological books uh, of, the, of, the New, of the New Testament and certainly the Bible for how we are saved. It is so rich and it starts with a lack of thanksgiving. Paul, in, eight, in 18 instances in his letters, expresses thanksgiving to God, and there are 10 other, 10 other instances in which he instructs us to give thanks. In fact, some of the, there are 35 different references uh, in the Psalms, and in the Bible total, there's 140 different references for why and how we, as covenant people, should be giving thanks to God. Without a doubt, thanksgiving is a command. But it is also a Christian virtue. And this is something that we really need to, to, to hone in on and focus on here. What do I mean by Christian virtue? It is, it is something that's a part of the Christian's good character. It is something that is produced within him based on his character. There are some Christian virtues, such as holiness, love, and faithfulness, that are, that are godly traits that really reflect who God is. So we are to be loving, we are to be holy, because we are image bearers created in the image of the Almighty God. These are, these are characters that are virtues that reflect who God is. And then there are other Christian virtues uh, that are an acknowledgement or an expression uh, of who God is, or the goodness that we have seen in God. And these are things like humility, joy, contentment. Uh, these are things that we have conjured up in our hearts that spring from our hearts as we come to know God in his goodness, in his love, and in his faithfulness. And certainly, uh, thanksgiving is one of these as well. So what is thankfulness? Well, it's a response. It's a command, and it is a virtue. I just want to ask, where is your thankfulness meter you know, life is crazy. Uh, Sunday mornings are particularly crazy for uh, our family, I feel like. We've got two children and uh, um, one on the way. But, uh, but we've got, um, you know, it's crazy, and it's going to get crazier, okay? There's a lot of things and responsibilities uh, going on. Um, so where is our thankfulness meter? We have to ask that as we're coming in uh, to worship every day as we're moving throughout our lives. And I just want to ask you, life is hard. It is difficult. Where is your thankfulness meter? Where are, how are you doing uh, in thankfulness? The second question that I want us to examine, where does thankfulness come from? And I want to submit to you that it just comes from your heart. Your heart is the storehouse of your love, your passions, and your affections. To illustrate, 
Uh, I was at breakfast with a guy. Um, we were talking about Christ's covenant, some different things. Uh, one morning, it was a late breakfast. That's about 9.30 or so. And uh, I, I have always been grateful and thankful for safe vehicles. Seatbelts, kind of annoying sometimes, but grateful for them. Okay? And I've, I've always known that I'm grateful for them. But in particular, this day, I really come to know that I'm grateful for them. Because in this breakfast, I get a call from my wife. And uh, she's calling, and she's not the most, uh, she wasn't, the, it wasn't her most calm moment, uh, but, and that's understandable. She explains, hey, we, we've, we're in a wreck, we've been in a wreck, we're on I-75, we're okay. Now, my gratefulness and thankfulness for seat belts did what? Escalated, big time. Because the thing that was affected was so near and dear to me, and it was this mechanism, a seatbelt, safe vehicles, that the Lord used to protect my family in this moment. When the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about, and the things that you have affection for are positively affected or negatively affected, your thankfulness may rise or your thankfulness may fall. The key is to have your passions, your loves, and your affections be centered on things that are unchanging. So where does it come from? It comes from the place and the things that we allow to consume our lives and our hearts. And I think from Psalm 100 here, the psalmist would tell us that that shall be God. It should not be just these earthly circumstances that you find yourself in, whether you are in plenty or whether you are in poor, whether you are healthy or whether you are sick. The psalmist here is putting forward a virtue that we can hold no matter what is going on in life because it is rooted in who God is, someone who never change, changes. And as Jerry Bridges tells us, a great writer, I would highly encourage any of his books um, if, you, if you're a reader, just a great, great writer, uh, great preacher, he says this, he points to thankfulness as being rooted in trust and confidence that God is who he said he is, uh, as the psalmist has here. He says this, thankfulness to God is a recognition that God, in his goodness and faithfulness, has provided for us and cares for us, both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon him and that all that we are and have comes from God. It is a deep trust in God. I don't know where you're coming in here today from. I don't know what's going on in every one of your lives. I do know that it is a great thing for us to gather uh, here today. But I know circumstances are hard and, and life presents so many difficulties. But I want to ask, no matter what is going on, where is your deepest hope this morning? Where does your deepest trust lie? Are you hoping in circumstance or are you hoping in a God who has revealed himself to you through his word, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is good and loves and is faithful? Where does your trust lie? And I also think uh, that uh, there's, a, there's a good test for knowing on how well you are trusting uh, in the Lord. And I think there are three and really four things that we can look to in our lives that tell us if we're doing a good job, and we can always do better, but are we doing a good job in trusting the Lord? Does your trust rely 
and lie on him. The first symptom of not trusting God, sorry this is small here, I think, is anxiety. Anxiety says this. Anxiety says that you are dissatisfied with how the Lord may provide for you in the moment and in the future. You're uncertain about this. You're dissatisfied about how he might act on your behalf. Therefore, you are anxious. Another symptom of not trusting in the Lord is fear. Fear says that God will not come through for you in your moments of greatest need. That you know better than God what your needs are and that you know the trials and and troubles ahead and you're not sure that he's going to come through for you in those deep moments of need. This produces fear. A third one, impatience. Impatience says that God's timing does not meet your desires for what you want your life to look like. And that can be long-term, that can be short-term, that can be in the moment. All of these things are symptoms that we likely all carry, that we likely all carried into this room today. And I think it's God's will uh, that you would be confronted with that and that I would be confronted with that. I, I bet, likely, the most anxious person who walked in this room today was me. I'm serious. I, I, I don't do this often. I, I don't get to preach often. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity. But it produces anxiety in my life. It does. And I need to be confronted with the fact that God is what? Good. That he is loving and that he is faithful. I need to lay my anxieties uh, down before him. I I do think that there is one more that's not going to be on here uh, that I was thinking about. Another symptom uh, of not fully trusting in who God is, is grumbling and complaining, which is really the opposite of being thankful. Grumbling and complaining, which says this, I just don't like God's provision. It's not that I don't think he's going to come through in my time of need. It's that I recognize it and I don't like it. I don't see my circumstance as providential. And if I do, I don't like what God has done here. Grumbling. There's a quote that I love, and I know my wife has heard me say this, and you have even maybe heard me say this before, but it's by Donald Gray Barnhouse, and he says this, if I had the power of God, I would change a lot of things in my life. But if I had the wisdom of God, I would not change a single thing. You see, God is fully wise. And in his benevolent love towards us, he has you in whatever circumstance you're in this morning, good, bad, or ugly, so that your heart could be refined and that ultimately your thankfulness for him and his unwavering uh, commitment to you through his covenant would produce thankfulness uh, in your heart. So how do we express thankfulness? The third question that we started with uh, this morning. We find them in the text and in, in how the psalmist is encouraging us here. So if you'll look to verse 1 of Psalm 100, it says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. One of the reasons it's so good for us to gather together corporately is to hear truth sang. We need to hear uh, gospel songs proclaimed one man to another, one woman to another as a group, um, as a reminder of, of who God is and what he's done for us, as a, as a place where we, can, we, where we can look forward and place our hope and be reminded of that here in the moment. But it's also just an expression of thankfulness. I, you know, I, not that I always rate worshipers in the room. Don't think that. I'm not that shallow of a guy. 
However, I will say the front row really worships well, and, and I don't know what that means. They know, they know that they're just up here, you know, and, and, and it's awesome. It's great to see. It's encouraging to my heart. They worship well. I'm sure others do too. Maybe it's just because they're nearest to the light that they were drawn out to me, but they're, they're up here worshiping so well, and all of you worship so well, but we should all worship in a way that is almost tiring. You come and you expel energy upon the fact as you, as you think upon what God has done for you. And this joyful noise should come out of your mouth and it should be noticed uh, by others. Now, I, I do believe that if Auburn beats Alabama this week, I don't think some people really think it's going to happen based on that laugh. If Auburn beats Alabama this week, what's going to happen? I know a lot of Auburn fans in here. Don't come on. What's going to happen? Yeah, there's going to be a joyful. Thank you, Tara. You're Texas A and M. There's going to be jubilation. All right. There's going to be shouting. There's going to be jumping up and down. There's going to be a lot of excitement. Now, if Georgia Tech happens to beat Georgia this week, there's one person in the room that might be happy. Jason Byers. And he's going to jump up and down, and he's going to jubilate, and he's going to be happy. Why? The thing that he has placed his affections on is victorious. Something good has happened, and it creates a response of jubilee. It creates a response of rejoicing. This is what the psalmist is telling us to do here. As he reflects on what God has done for us, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Who? All the earth. You know, one day we'll know what that looks like. This is a great expression of worship here. It's a local expression of worship. But all the earth one day will rejoice in unhindered worship. And that is a day that I look forward to. It's a day that I hope you look forward to. And it's a shadow. What we're doing here is a shadow of that day to come. The second thing uh, that we are um, commended to do here, exhorted to do by the psalmist, is to serve the Lord with gladness. I, I, one of the things about being in a church plant is it requires a lot of hands. And I'll tell you guys, you guys do such an amazing job of serving the Lord. And I hope you serve the Lord out of an expression of gratitude for what he's done for you. Um, I hope you do that. And if you are grateful to God and you want to get engaged with serving, we've got a lot of other ways that we need people to serve around here, I promise. As our church grows, the needs grow. And so as, as you come to know God and his goodness and his love and his faithfulness and you want to serve, talk to me. I'll get you engaged with that. But serving the Lord, I think so many times in life, if I reflect on my days and I'm really honest with myself, I can go through a day and really only think about how can I serve moi? How can I serve me? Well, a heart that is centered on God seeks to serve him out of an expression of thankfulness. And how does this service happen? With gladness, is what he says. Serve the Lord with gladness. And then the third way is to come into his presence with singing. Again, an expression of what we did earlier that we one day will get to do uh, forever. Spurgeon says this as he comments on, uh, on this psalm. Our happy God, and he is a happy God. He's not a begrudging God who sits up there like an angry old man who can't get his children to do what he wants. 
He doesn't do that. He's a happy God. He's immensely happy in, in his character, in his person. But our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. Christians fundamentally should be joyful because of what God has done for us in Christ. So here's the, the tough question. And here's where um, we get to do a little soul searching a little at, a, at a deeper level. Why aren't we thankful is the fourth question. Why aren't we thankful? One of the issues that we face, if we're really honestly honest with ourselves, is that we can go to church and we can come to community group or go to church and go to community group and do all the things that a thriving Christian should do and still be ungrateful in our circumstances. We have the capacity, as we'll look in just a moment at Luke 17, to be face-to-face with Jesus and to use him for whatever our purposes are in the moment and then just to move on to the next thing, never even thinking to turn to God and give thanks. So with that, turn over to Luke chapter 17. There's a really fascinating uh, story here about ten lepers. Now you know um, and might be reminded that if you know, in Jesus' ministry, he went all throughout uh, the cities, the area, the regions of um, Israel, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, doing, performing mis- mir- many miracles. And when he performed these miracles, he was not doing so primarily out of a motivation just to make someone's circumstance better. Okay? That, that's not necessarily what Jesus is after here. He's not just there seeking to take something you know, circumstantially bad and make it circumstantially good. He does that. But what Jesus is doing is something that is innate to who he is. You see, Jesus, when he came, he came as the Lord, the Messiah. And whenever he came, he came and he reverses the curse. Wherever Jesus goes, the curse flees. You see that where you know, he confronts demoniacs and he just speaks and the demons flee. You see this whenever he confronts deaf and, and blind people. What does he do? He gives sight and hearing to people. Something that has happened in a Genesis 3 world cannot stand in the presence of Jesus. It can be no other. It can be no other way. And so what happens here is these lepers, they see Jesus in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now leprosy in this day was one of the worst of situations. You might think you're in a bad circumstance this morning, and certainly you might be. However, you do not have leprosy, and you're not condemned to the outskirts of the city, not to be around anyone, not to have community and fellowship, not to, not to engage with people at all, and you're not in you know, leprosy-type pain with leprosy-type deformities. Um, but these people are in a bad way. They are in a bad way, in a hard situation, And they know, apparently, a little something about Jesus. They know, hey, 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 Jesus, I think that's that guy who has healed some people. Let's try to get his attention, and maybe uh, he might come over and give us some attention and heal us. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, verse 14, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now I think this passage gives us some really helpful insights on why we might not return thanks to God as we should. And I think one of the reasons is that we have unrealistic expectations. In particular, we've got unrealistic expectations of God and who he is. We think that God exists to serve us instead of the opposite, which I think is evident in this text. And then we also have a wrong expectation about our lives and ourselves. We think life is about creature comforts and making sure that we have all of the perceived good things that, that we need in order to live a healthy and good life. So the first here is that we think that God ought to serve uh, us. In this passage, the nine lepers who left did not, and did not return thanks simply thought that Jesus ought to heal them. And I think if we're really, really honest with ourselves, and I think if I'm really, really honest with myself a lot of times, we fall into a tendency of using God for our own means. Look at your prayer life. Look at my prayer life. What are the things that you're broken for? What are the things that you give thanks for? If you were to go, to, go back and, and write down the different things that you're praying for, what would that tell you? Are you, am I, seeking to use God just simply to achieve the means that we want on this earth? I think what we have here, I think what Luke is trying to show us here in these nine lepers is that we all have that tendency. You know, I think if we read this text, a lot of times what I like to do is see myself as the hero in the text, or at least, if not the hero, maybe the good person. So I'm probably not going to identify with Jesus here because I'm not healing people, and I don't think I'm the Messiah. However, I would like to think that I'm the one who would, you know, upon Jesus doing something miraculous for me, doing something that I had no hope to do otherwise, that I would return the thanks. But if I really am honest... Nine out of ten times are we doing that? I would just say test your heart. This passage is for us. The other, the other thing uh, that we do is uh, in, in terms of developing, and uh, first of all, I want to go back to a quote, sorry, uh, Cody back there. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who I quote often in sermons because he's so quotable, he says this, he says, what would really satisfy us would be a God who said, of anything we happened to like doing. What does it matter so long as they are contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see the young people enjoying themselves, and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. Not many people, I admit, would formulate a theology precisely in those terms. 
but a conception not very different lurks at the back of many minds. I do not claim to be the exception. I should very much like to live in a universe which was governed on such lines, but since it is abundantly clear that I don't, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude that my conception of love needs correction. This is from C.S. Lewis' book called The Problem of Pain, a very, very helpful book for understanding suffering in the Christian life. These people were suffering, and, and they just wanted God to say at the end of the day, all be well, all be happy. Another way that we have a false expectation or wrong expectations on God is that, or of God is that we create sub-gods, what I call and what others theologians have called functional saviors. What do I mean by a functional savior? A functional savior is anything that you look to to deliver you from your present circumstances. I remember thinking uh, before I was married, oh, if only I would get married. If only I could be married, then how happy my life would be. And marriage is a happy life, especially when you have a happy wife. And so um, marriage is awesome, and, you, and it is happy. But you know what? It did not enter me into the new heavens and the new earth, as I kind of presupposed that it would on the other side. That was a functional savior for me. For some of you, it could be that. Maybe, it could, maybe it's the fact that you're in a job that you don't like. You feel unfulfilled, and you just feel like, ah, oh, if I could just have some circumstance change here, then my life would have so much meaning. I would have so much joy and thankfulness. Whatever that is for you, be aware that you can create functional saviors. We're, none of us are immune from it. Uh, these are idols that we set up to deliver us. And this is a misconception, a false expectation of God. They do not deliver. What will happen is that you will get this savior and then on the other side of it, you will look for another. And you will establish something else. All the while... As the psalmist was doing, our hope should have been the God who is so faithful. He was good and he loves us and that he is for us in his son. The, the third kind of false expectation or bad expectation that we can do and, and create is, is that we uh, create a false view of self. Uh, Paul Tripp, I think, is super helpful here, another great author who kind of helps dive into the heart and, get, and parse the soul. Uh, he says this, and I think we've got it up here. If I foolishly assume that I'm a good person, which would be a misconception, a false expectation of self, then I'll arrogantly assume that I'm a deserving person. I'll place myself in the center of my world and live with an I deserve attitude because I live because I live with such a sense of entitlement, I'll develop an inflated and unrealistic sense of personal need. Because I have an inflated and unrealistic sense of personal need, I'll expect the situations, locations, and friendship and relationships of everyday life to focus their energy on serving what I have named as personal needs. But in my foolishness and arrogance, I had forgotten that this universe wasn't created to serve me. I'm not the center of, of its attention, despite what I wish to think. Inevitably, those people and places will fail to cater to or even recognize what I have named as personal needs. So, since I didn't get what I thought I deserve, I have a multitude of reasons to complain and to grumble. Where does this grumbling find its roots? 
Well, in my heart, because I have an inaccurate view of myself, viewed myself with foolishness and arrogance. We are all susceptible to succumbing to a false view of life and self. And we need the scriptures, as Paul mentioned in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, to correct it, to, re- to give us uh, direction, to give us truth here. And I guess what I'm asking here is, how are you viewing self? How are you viewing self? Have you bought into the narrative that is so loudly shouted here in such an affluent area that life is about you? That life is about your creature comforts? Have you bought into that? If you have, you will not be unlike the nine who get what they want from Jesus and return without giving thanks. You see, this last guy here uh, who did return, he knew that he was helpless. He, he knew that he had no hope um, for healing himself. He knew that Maybe he didn't even deserve the attention of Jesus. He knew this to be true. And because he knew this to be true, his greatest value, his greatest affection, his greatest passion in the moment was to return thanks to God being there in front of him in the flesh. If your hope is in the circumstances of this world, I promise you this, it'll be a call It'll be your mom calling you and telling you your dad's going to the hospital. We think he's had a heart attack. It'll be your boss calling you and saying, we're reducing the size of our company for X number of reasons. Sorry, but you're without a job. It'll be a relationship that you, were, that you loved and were looking forward to you know, turning into marriage one day that ends. It'll be a call. It'll, it'll be something that will let you down. It always happens in this world unless our hope is where the psalmist points us here. And I think uh, the fifth question, uh, which is also a very important one here, is for what then shall we be thankful? James 1.17 tells us this, that, that every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So as a blessed people who have life, by the way, be thankful for life. Who in here contributed to your own life? Not a one. You you are here because God sovereignly wanted you here and he created you. You don't allow your heart to continue to beat. You don't work at that. You don't work at your lungs continuing to breathe. You, You don't work at that. It just happens. God sustained you in that. You don't work for your eyes to see and your ears to hear. God has done that. And you have nothing to do with him. God has done this for you, and we should be thankful. We should be thankful for life. We should be thankful for every good gift that comes down from above, whether that be family, provision, all of these things, they come from God. But if our view of God is that we would only be thankful for the things that we circumstantially feel and that we experience in this life that can be taken away, it is likely that our thankfulness will be volatile. Your thankfulness will be volatile if your hope and your thankfulness rest in just the things that you have. But God offers something far different. You see, what the, 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 
last person who returned to give thanks to, to Jesus recognized is that God had given him something in this moment that could never be taken away. What, is it, what does he say here at the end? Rise, Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus did not just come to make the sick well. He did not come just to make the blind to see. He did not come just to allow, make the deaf to hear. What Jesus came to do was to raise the dead things. And if you're in here today... At some point in your life, your heart was dead to God. It was dead. It, it was opposed to what God wanted. It sought a, a, to build a life and construct a life around itself that would make it happy, filling itself with earthly joys and contemporary uh, things. However, if you're a believer, God has spoken to your dead heart and made it alive. That's what he's done for this man here. That's what Jesus has done here. Yes, he corrected his circumstance. He healed him because he's the Savior. That's what he does. He speaks at the curse and the curse flees. It's what happens. But he's also done something profoundly greater. He's given this man faith. This man has faith in, I think what the psalmist here is commending us to do in Psalm 100, it's found in verse 3, the way that we remain thankful for all of our life, no matter what in the world is going on, the good the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Whatever is going on in our lives, the hope that we have and the hope that this, this, this healed leper had who praised God and the hope that the psalmist had and your hope and my hope is that we would have faith in this. Verse 3 of Psalm 100. Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. If you have no other reason to be thankful this morning, you can be thankful for that. If you are found in Christ, if you know that he is God, you are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And in his pasture, there is great joy. There is great blessing. There is great hope. There is great thanksgiving. And so this morning, as we close, I would love for us to all be in the position of the leper who gave thanks. Not because our hope is that we would leave here today and things might be right in the world, that we'll get that job we wanted, that, we, that relationship will be healed, but that we know the Lord and we are his people. Don't you want this today? No, Jason and myself, we'll be in the back afterwards and we would love to talk to you further. If you live a life where you, you find yourself discontented, hopeless, where you find yourself grumbling, complaining against all that is going on, I want to tell you there is hope. There is hope found in, in the one who created all things for his glory and ultimately your good. Verse 5, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. We would love to talk to you more about that God. And so, uh, we would love to talk to you up, up, and we'll be up in the top uh, here at the end of the service. But one of the ways that God, or one of the means that God gives us uh, to grow our thankfulness, to remind us of uh, why we should be thankful, are ordinances. One of those ordinances is baptism. You get to go and you get to see, wow, this, this person has, has, a, has a heart that has been changed by God. It was dead, 
and it was made alive. And in baptism, we see that so clearly, and it reminds us of our own baptism. And we, in response, give thanks to God for this person in front of us who is now a believer and for our own souls that he has saved. The other ordinance is what we're going to celebrate here in a moment. It's communion. And communion signifies that Jesus died the death that you deserve so that you don't have to. He took your, the penalty of your sin, which we were all guilty of and all remain guilty of, unless Jesus takes that from us. Jesus came and he lived the life that God required. He lived a, pur- or he lived a righteous life and purchased us by his blood. We celebrate that. Uh, here today and it is my hope that this communion of all that we would just be so thankful uh, as we uh, come forward and take these elements together and so what we'll do is we'll have our deacons come forward and uh, we'll have the musicians come on up and uh, we'll release from the top rows and we'll kind of come from the I guess it's your right and you'll come down and and uh, grab the elements and take those back to your seat and then, all, and then when everyone's back, uh, the music will stop playing and I'll come back up and we'll take communion uh, corporately. But as we do, let's focus on, on what God has done for us in Christ. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.